You're listening to the Father's House Podcast. We're in Owensboro, Kentucky. Hope you guys enjoy. If you guys want more information, you can go to thefathershouseky.com. Turn to your neighbor and say, your expectation is God's invocation. Okay, I grew up in a Pentecostal church, so we talk back to each other, and we talk real loud. So why don't you try that again and say, your expectation is God's invocation. Thank you, you're making me feel at home. Um, I am from South Africa originally. My wife and I moved to the great city of Boston to plant a church a little over three years ago. And uh, I'm so excited to tell you that God is on the move in the frozen, chosen Northeast of America. Um, We have people tell us that Boston is one of the most liberal cities in the world, which it is and that it's real hard to plant a church, which it is, and that you will commit ministry suicide if you go to Boston. And I'm so glad to tell you that that is not the truth because light belongs in the dark places. And God is still on the move. I want you to know that the gospel that works in Africa is the gospel that works in America. That the same God of signs, wonders, and miracles is on the move In intellectual Boston, we've been seeing God heal some people. Um, We just had a a top surgeon from Texas, from Dallas, Texas, come to our church meeting. He'd had severe carpal tunnel um, because of all the surgeries and repetitive strain injury. And uh, after prayer, God completely healed him, got full mobility back in his wrist, completely healed. Where one young, um, one young lady just recently um, um, testified to how God healed her mother of stage four terminal cancer after she had a dream in which she prayed for her mother. And this young lady is a research scientist in the area of cancer, so she knows this stuff. And uh, she prayed for her mom, and God completely healed her. Her mom had six months to live, and that was um, a little over a year ago. She's alive and well, and God is still on the move. It's such a joy. I was loving um, Pastor Mike uh, exhorting you, or or manipulating you, I'm not quite sure, to join the kids team. Uh, We don't have that problem. We have three children in our church. We are in a city that is, um, is very um, young, and so the average age is 24, but we figured that kids have the same Holy Spirit that we have, and that they don't get a mini-me version of the Holy Spirit. How many of you know that? Um, I got filled with the Holy Ghost when I was three years old. At the end of my third year, I began speaking in tongues. I don't remember a day not speaking in tongues. Uh, because my mom and dad believed that when you get saved, you get the fullness of the Godhead dwelling in you. I'm going to say amen to my own point. And so three kids in our kids' work, two of them are mine. We've got a six-year-old and an eight-year-old, and we have taught them a one-step model 
of praying for our people. So they're part of our ministry team, and we taught them a one-step model. We've got young people and um, professionals who come to our church from all over, from places that would not believe in the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit. We've got young people who are professionals in biotech and artificial intelligence. Uh, there are some people who've got more degrees than a thermometer in our community. Um, but we figured that the most unsuspecting power carrier in the kingdom are kids. The Bible says that if you're to receive the Holy Spirit or the kingdom, you have to do so in a childlike manner. We sometimes think ourselves out of an encounter with God. And so we taught them this one-step model, and it goes like this. One, two, three, fire! And so in our ministry times, our kids go and pray for people. And we got so many testimonies, and this is not an exaggeration, of adults who are encountering God because my little son, who I'm still trying to help learn obedience, help me Jesus, is going one, two, three, fire, and the power of God is hitting them, and they're encountering the presence of God. I just want to help Pastor Mike for a moment. You need to join the kids team. Because if you want to see revival, it's not going to rest on this current generation. It's got to be a next generation who learn that the Holy Spirit is real and that we can do miracles because of the power of the Spirit. This is not in my notes. I just felt so excited after that announcement. Um, like I said, I'm from South Africa, and uh, we've been living in Boston and just seeing God do a wonderful thing. We planted in the middle of COVID. We've seen uh, and now uh, maybe 140 people join our community. We get no advertising. We meet in a crusty old school that is really not good looking. There is nothing comfortable about our church. Um, I was so pleasantly surprised by the comfort of your pews because uh, we do not have beautiful padded chairs like this. Um, it, you pay the price for coming to our church. Um, you have to find parking in a busy city, but people are showing up and God is moving. Um, I want to tell you that America's best days are ahead of her. And I want to teach you a little bit this morning um, in preparation for what I believe God is saying to you as a community. Um, and I want to invite you to come on a journey with me today. Um, I love what God is doing. I often tell people the Holy Spirit is my most inconvenient friend. If you think that the kingdom of God is about your personal comfort, you heard the wrong gospel. I'm going to preach my heart out today whether you like it or not. Because I believe there's an encounter that God wants to bring the Father's house into, that this house is a house for this region and for the nations. Anyways, the Holy Spirit's the most inconvenient friend I know, and he often interrupts my brilliant sermons. Um, in fact, it's biblical precedent in the book of Acts, while Peter was preaching, the Bible says at Cornelius' house, while he was preaching, the Holy Spirit fell on those who were hearing him preach. I find that incredibly offensive. Does the Holy Spirit not know I worked really hard on my sermon? <laughs> He's a God of order. It didn't look like a lot of order at that point. But I feel like God wants to minister to some people. And so just before I get into my sermon, um, if it's okay with you, can I just bring a few words? 
Uh, can I just bring a few prophetic words and words of knowledge? Now, listen, I'm a happy prophet. I'm not a lemon-sucking, baptizing lemon juice type prophet. <laughs> Last time I checked, Jesus dealt with all of the requirements of sin and judgment on the cross so that we can go free. And listen, last time I checked, the Bible says that he has forgotten your sin and remembers it no more and has thrown it as far as the east is from the west. And so if a prophet is all about calling out sin, I'm not quite sure they've understood the gospel. And the church has misrepresented God as a grumpy old man waiting to smite you because of all of your wrongdoing. The point is, Jesus took on all of the weight of sin for you and me so that we get to live in an overwhelming encounter of his kindness and his grace. God is much kinder than you could ever imagine. And so I'm one of the, prof listen, the best prophet in the Bible, do you know what his name is? Jesus. Have you noticed that prophets, this is really not in my notes, I don't know why I'm going here, but I'm just going to go, yeah. But just go. Have you noticed that most prophets today are real grumpy? They don't like, kids don't like hanging out with some of the prophets I meet nowadays. But it seems like Jesus liked hanging out with prostitutes and sinners, and they like hanging out with him. Seems like Jesus loved having children around him. It seemed like he was real happy. The Bible says he was anointed with the oil of joy above his companions. If you want to know what a good prophet looks like, have they been baptized in joy? <laughs> the church looks more often like it's been baptized in lemon juice. <laughs> anyway, I felt like there's someone in this section over here towards the second half of this building uh, you're in this section over here towards the second half of the building. Uh, when I spoke about carpal tunnel and pain in your wrists, actually God wants to heal you. And I feel like there's somebody in the second half of this section over here. You've got some wrist condition or some kind of joint condition. Is that you, ma'am? Won't you stand quickly? I want to pray for you. Um, Sure, thank you, God is here. I didn't get the memo or read up on Facebook before I got here to figure out where the problems were. This is God speaking. What's your name, ma'am? Sharon, you're just so lovely, aren't you? The Lord loves you so much. You've got such a warm heart. You, it's like you've got an open house and an empty fridge very often. People love coming in and there's such a grace of hospitality on you. There's such a grace to connect with people and to bring the heart of God to them. Um, and I just feel like God wanted to uh, commend you today that your intercession in this last season for some key family members have not gone unheard, that God has heard them and he's at work to bring some breakthrough into your family situation in an unexpected way. I feel like there's an estranged relationship that's been really difficult uh, Excuse me, something that's been really hard for you to deal with. And God says, I'm going to restore that relation. I don't know if it's got to do with a son or a daughter, but I feel like God is doing something quite unique in your family. And that even in the next two weeks, there's going to be a significant momentum change around that. And, and I just felt like God wanted to encourage you. You can sleep well in this next season. Because your sleep has been so disrupted even about the intercession. God says, I've heard from heaven. Also, the, the, the left wrist um, 
Yeah, God's just healing that right now. In the name of Jesus, we speak to pain. We command it to go. Is there any way you can know if that's healed right now? Is there pain? Is the pain lifted? You're not feeling, did you come in with pain today? You came in with pain? So something seems to be happening? Well, we, we declare complete healing, no more pain in Jesus' name. Amen. He loves you so much, ma'am. This is your season of breakthrough. She's your seasonal breakthrough. Get ready. God's doing something in your family. Just while we're at it, there's somebody in this section. You're in the first one, two, three, four, five rows in this section over here. You have got some kind of sciatic pain shooting down your leg. It's caused incredible difficulty. It's like your the lower bits of your vertebra bones are rubbing together or something like that. In fact, you can you wave your hand at me? Is that you, ma'am? Won't you scan very quickly? Have you got pain right now in your back? If, if there's more than one of you, you might as well get in on the healing too. So um, is, there, is there another person, ma'am? Were you standing over there too? No? Okay. Um, ma'am, uh, how would you know if you're healed? Would you, you got pain right now? Will you guys be my ministry team? Is that okay? Will you stretch out your hand? And you can just go one, two, three, fire. Father, right now we declare healing in the name of Jesus. We speak to pain. We speak to the bones right now. The presence of God is just coming upon you, ma'am. You're going to sense his overwhelming presence right now. There it goes right through your body. Be filled right now. Whoa. Right now. In the name of Jesus, we speak to the vertebra. We speak to the sciatica that's shooting down right now. We command pain to leave right now. Ma'am, I feel like you are in the season of transition. You're in a season of crossroads right now. In fact, I feel like I don't know if it's going to do with your job or situation that you're facing, but you're needing to make some big decisions. You're like in this crossroads moment. And I feel like the Lord's saying, I'm going to open the door that's unusual for you. It's going to be a door of incredible favor. And I actually see like there's something on you to equip people and to uh, help people uh, come into wholeness. And I feel like there's something even on you around, um, uh, I don't know if it's teaching kids, but it's like there's this dynamic where you're going to be able to take even little kids and bring them into a place of wholeness in, in, uh, in a unique way. And I just feel like God is rearranging some circumstances to do with um, uh, even finance and revenue uh, to get you into a more favorable position. And I just feel like God's saying, trust me because I'm going to open up a door. I feel like there was a season where you were overlooked in your job situation for something that was due to you. But now God is going to bring that round in a way that will cause you to walk in an unfair advantage with him. God's hand is so on you, ma'am. And I just feel like it's almost been um, just a real season where where the enemy has just had a go at your confidence. And you've had a fight for just about everything. The last eight-month cycle in your life has been a cycle of having to fight for everything. And God's saying, I'm drawing a line in the sand today. And you're coming into a new season of incredible <laughs> grace. Do you want to check out if, any, if there's any difference? Can you sense anything? What's happening? Um, I, the pain is gone. It feels like I need somebody to adjust my... 
So the pain is lifting and you came in with pain? How long did you have that pain for? It's been a couple of years you've had pain and now the pain is lifting. And so Father, right now, we just speak to uh, the muscles in her back right now. We release a heavenly muscle relaxant right now. We speak complete mobility. We thank you that the pain is gone after two years. We say, God, never let this pain come back again. And we declare complete healing in the wonderful and mighty name of Jesus. And everybody shout an amen. Pain for two years and it's now gone. Can you just celebrate that? Thank you, Jesus. There are about five of you in the room. You just got healed and you didn't even know it. So if you came in with pain, check it out right now. Do something you couldn't do. Remember the man had to stretch out his hand and in the stretching out of his hand, uh, he got healed. I feel like there's someone getting healed of a shoulder condition right now. Uh, you've had some kind of pain in your shoulder. If you begin to move it, you'll see that the pain is now lifting. I think there are five of you just in this atmosphere of God's presence, you already got healed. And so if that's you, just quickly wave your hand. The pain is now lifting. There are one, uh, two, Anyone else, you know, God's done something in your body. Um, come Holy Spirit, I'm just trying to see if there's anyone else. Just check it out, do something. Two people got healed without breaking a sweat right there. Because healing is easy in the presence of God. I'm not the healer, we're not the healer, he is. It's part of his nature. There are at least five of you, God's done something in your body. If the pain is lifting or it's completely gone, just give me a, a thumbs up very quickly. I want to see what God's doing. There's one, there's, there's two, there was three, there's four, there's five up there. Any, let's go for six, why not? Anyone else? You know God's doing something. Guys, if church is not fun, we should all just go home, right? Anyone else? You know God's doing something in your body. Either the pain is lifting or it's now completely lifting. Just give me a thumbs up very quickly. One, two, I, I've seen that hand over there. Anybody else? You know God's done something just quickly. Give me a thumbs up. Okay, come on, Lord. So we've just had five people say that God's done something in their body. Did you notice we didn't even have to pray for that? Do you know how come? Because you just declared we're believing to be a house that sees the supernatural. Like you gotta believe what you declare, right? And God just broke in and healed some people. Do you wanna celebrate that? Guys, tonight I'm going to take a time, tonight I'm going to take an extra long time to do ministry, to see the power of the Holy Spirit manifest. Um, we're going to trust God for encounters. Some of you, I want to tell you tonight, I believe um, one of the things that's been happening in our church is we have been seeing numbers of people get set free from long-term anxiety and the joy of Lord break out in their hearts. And so I want you to come tonight expecting. Uh, if you weren't planning on coming, um, I'd make a plan to get here because I'm, I'm expecting God to move more healings, more breakthroughs. Are you up for that? Yeah. Great. Won't you turn in your Bibles, please, to Luke chapter 7. I'm going to do an amazing miracle today, and that is to try and get through my notes in the next 20 minutes. Help me, Jesus. Luke chapter 7 and we're going to pick up in verse 36, verse number 36. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. 
And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with her hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. That's code language for she's a prostitute. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of them both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. And then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? Oh, I love this moment. You see, under the law, Jesus was not allowed to talk to a woman publicly. And what he does is he looks her straight in the eye while he's rebuking Simon, the religious Pharisee. He says, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me uh, no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And so he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Your faith has made you whole. Go in peace. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. I like throwing that in because it sounds really cool. I love this particular text. It's one of the most scandalous texts in the Bible. Any dignified, common sense, religious person will read this verse in the text um, back in the day in the Middle East and not come to the conclusion that this was a wonderful act of worship. They would come to the conclusion that this was a scandalous act of worship. This was highly unusual. This is highly unorthodox. In fact, this was the kind of praise, if I was back home in South Africa, that we would call crazy kind of praise. This was not safe, polite, politically correct kind of praise. This was the kind of praise that gets you into trouble. When last has your praise got you into trouble? And I believe the Lord is wanting to speak to this community in a unique way. You see, I believe God's getting ready to establish you as a house of worship for the region. I'm just going to preach to myself for a moment. I believe that God is calling this house to be a house that will change the atmosphere of this region, that will change the foundations of this region, that will change the economics of this region, that will change the color demographic of this region, that will change every aspect of this region because in Owensboro, there's a house of prayer and worship. 
You see, folks, worship is the one thing that you get to do now that actually directly connects you to your ultimate destiny. You will worship God in heaven, in perfection. It is the ultimate unfolding of your destiny and his plan for your life. People ask me, what's my destiny? What's my purpose? Worship. (laughs) It's the one thing that you get to do now on earth that will be eternal in heaven. People say, I want heaven on earth. Worship. And I, I love this text because... It breaks all of the religious regulations. It breaks all of the social expectations. It breaks all of the wonderful, neat boxes that we love in church. Mm -hmm. You see, very often we have reduced worship to my preference. We have reduced worship to my style. Listen, I come from a church where, where we didn't do soft white boy rock music. I mean, you know, that's not my preference. I like it loud and crazy. Can I get a witness, somebody? Please help me. But I've grown up, I, I now pastor in churches where we love the long ballads and the slow down pace. And I'm like, Jesus, help me, rapture me now if you can. I just need me some happy worship. But, you know, we've reduced worship to our style and our preference and what we think is good and what's not good. Problem is, worship is not about your style and your preference because worship was never designed for you. It was designed for him. And despite music or pulpit, he deserves our highest praise. And this particular text, the the gospel writer here, uh, the wonderful physician, Dr. Luke, is writing to us and he throws us headlong into the tension of the story. Like this is not like a little build-up. This is not like let's make you feel nice and warm. This is like tense. You know that kind of awkward silence when somebody shows up at the party that your mama didn't invite and you know they've fallen out with your family and they show up in the house and they are there. I am at this party and everyone goes quiet because we go, you were not really invited to this party. Anybody have some of those experiences? And this particular culture that was happening at the moment is a Middle Eastern culture in the near Middle East. It is governed by shame and judgment. That's the culture that it is. And actually, it's not that far removed from uh, the culture that we often live in, in particular in the church. Because if we can't regulate your behavior, we'll shame you into behaving. You see, I, I grew up going to church. I grew up, uh, I often tell people I was going to church before I was even born. I was going in my mama's tummy, and uh, I know church. Um, I love church. She's still God's first plan to rescue the world. It's beautiful. But I know the kind of church that I grew up in. We'd drive, my dad was a pastor, we'd drive in the car, and he'd say to us, now remember, what happens in the Adams family stays in the Adams family. Some of you can identify with me because I grew up in a shame-based culture much like this culture. And you know, the thing about shame is shame operates in direct opposition to grace. Because what shame does is it tells you how bad you are without ever lifting a finger to help you. 
And in cultures of shame, we try and police people's behavior. Oh, Lord, help me. And we end up being the moral police of society rather than the transforming conduit of grace to society. Because shame tells you what to do and how bad you are and how wrong you are. Shame loves a good guilt story. Loves a good guilt trip. And shame happens one of two ways. It either comes upon you because somebody else does something to you or it's inside of you because of what you've done to somebody else. And I've seen one of the greatest obstacles to worship It's not a theological concept of God receiving worship, but it's the lack of understanding that Jesus has removed shame from us so that we can worship him in an unashamed way. And the thing that often drives us to our sin again is not um, our desire for sin, but it is shame that is in operation keeping on telling us how bad we are so that we go back to the very same sin as a dog returns to his vomit, so a man returns to his folly. The very thing that we're trying to get free from drives us back into that dynamic because of the shame that we feel. Listen, in South Africa, we're so good at shame. I remember this is a cross-cultural moment for me. When we see little babies... We, we literally, this is for real. We go, oh, shame. And I remember doing that in England. And the poor lady was like, there is nothing wrong with my baby. And took my baby away, <laughs> took the baby away. And I realized, oh, no, no, shame is not just something that we want to tolerate in our communities. That shame imprisons us to sin. And then, then there's the, the judgment culture. Oh, help me, Jesus, a little bit, yeah. We are living in a day where if you've got an iPhone and you've got a Twitter account, or now formerly Twitter, now X account, or an Instagram or a TikTok, you know all about judgment. I'll judge you so hard, I'll cancel you. And what judgment does is it creates a polarization in communities where if you don't conform, you're not in. (laughs) I want to tell you that God is most glorified in diversity, not in uniformity. Because the wisdom of God, the apostle Paul describes as the diadem of heaven, as the many very colors of heaven. It is the diversity of God in his wisdom in a local community that rather than trying to conform to one particular theology or one particular pattern or one particular shape or one particular genre, that actually we become the diverse people of God connected together in his image revealing his wisdom to principalities and powers. Somebody ought to shout amen. And this culture was governed by shame and judgment. And Luke throws us into the story. You see, Jesus has just been invited to this party. Um, I'm going to work through this. I promise we're going to get there. I won't keep you late. Jesus is invited to this party. And really, some of the other gospel writers tell us that they were trying to test Jesus. This was not a party of... Uh, of um, invitation because they like Jesus. This was a party to check him out. 
And back in those days, they would have two sections. Any good Pharisee would have two sections in his house. He would have the section for the very important people. You know that room, that living room that has all the best china? You know the one that has all the couches still covered in plastic? <laughs> you, you know what I'm talking about, that, that, that room that you only go once a year when it's a real special event. Well, the Pharisees would have that. And uh, because the Pharisees were so pious and loved the external obedience of the law, they also liked to make sure that there was a room for the poor, the marginalized, and the broken. And they would sit in that room and wait until the very important people had taken in their fill, had eaten everything they wanted, and they would then send the leftovers to the room next door because they were just that kind. Jesus comes into this room, and the Pharisees are about to test him. And this is not a nice party. This is the kind of party where you get an invitation saying, this is a dress-up party. Bring your best costume. And when you show up, you're the only one who's dressed up. <laughs> it's that kind of a party. The whole aim was to put shame and judgment on Jesus. Jesus walks in, and I love Jesus' style because he knows who and whose he is. And I love this. He says, he sat down and reclined at the table. I love his style. He just shows up. He's like, I know who I am. Uh, you got nothing on me. You got nothing on me, so I'm just going to make myself real comfortable and wait for some amazing Mediterranean lamb. Send it on down. And he sits down. And all of the courtesy that should be afforded him is not afforded him. There, there's no courtesy around a kiss on the cheek. There's no bowl of water for his feet so that he doesn't walk the dirt into the house. There's no washing of his hands. None of the courtesies that would be afforded a guest of honor is given to him because this Pharisee does not recognize who's coming to his house. It would be like me going to Pastor Mike and Maddie's house and uh, when I show up, they don't offer me any coffee that is from Ethiopia that has been roasted in their house early that morning <laughs> and freshly ground, made with the best, amazing microphone froth for my cappuccino. <laughs> Instead, they give me, they give me instant coffee. Lord have mercy. I would feel highly insulted at that point. <laughs> Dishonored. Jesus ain't offered nothing. And he sits down. And what happens in this moment is this woman is probably, the, the scholars tell us, in the section for the VIP. She's heard about this one called Jesus. This one who heals the sick, who delivers the poor, who sets the captive free. She's heard about his fame and she shows up and she's waiting and all she can see is dishonor. All she can see is disregard. And she breaks out of the confines 
Oh, Lord have mercy. She breaks out of the confines of religious expectation and politically correctness, and she crosses over as a woman into an all-man's room, and she starts walking over them, because they did not sit at a chair and a table. They were reclining. And she's going to walk around all of these men, and she gets to Jesus, and she breaks open an alabaster jar. It was scandalous. It would have been embarrassing for her. It would have been over the top. Listen, I remember as a young, well, not as a young pastor, this is a few years ago. I'm 45 now, I know, I don't look it. Black don't crack. Um, <laughs> I, I was, I remember I was at this big old conference, you know, like one of those real amazing conferences where I was the man of power for the hour. And I was getting ready to preach, sitting up on the front row. And this woman, forgive me if this is your ministry, okay? This woman is a flag waver. And she comes and stands in front of me. But she was a dangerous flag waver. Because she's waving this flag right in front of my face. And so I'm thinking, if this connects with my forehead, she's going to draw some blood. Because of the force of the flick that was happening right there. And so I'm literally, man of power for the hour, getting ready to preach, doing this. <laughs> because she is waving her jolly flag. And I don't like, I mean, it's just not my style. So offended. Why are you doing that in front of me? Do you not know who I think I am? <laughs> and so I'm now trying to worship. I'm even praying in tongues, trying to pray this woman away. And the Lord says to me, son, so I know his voice. I know that when God is about to ask me a question, it's not because he's looking for an answer. Do you see that flag over there? I want you to go and pick it up and worship me with it because this woman is giving me all she's got and you don't realize that. And so at that point, I'm like, get behind me. What is going on? And I am wrestling with God, can I give you a little key? Slow obedience is no obedience. And now I'm wrestling with the Lord because I'm like, I am the man of power for the hour. I am a cool pastor. <laughs> this is not my style, Lord Jesus. It's too embarrassing. It's too out of the norm. By that point, the worship had transitioned to no longer need any flags. And the Lord says, son, do you see that flag over there? I'm like, okay, Lord, but it's purple. That's not my color. It's a little too effeminate for me, Lord. I can't do this. He said, son, do you see that flag over there? So I went and grabbed the flag and I dig my thing, threw it on the floor. And the Lord said to me, son, you're being governed by the fear of man rather than the posture of your heart towards me. This woman was willing to break through the fear of man. She was willing to break through the expectation. She was willing to break through what was expected. If you want a house of worship, I want to tell you, it's not going to be neat and tidy. And I love the Pharisee. If this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of she is. Oh man, have I not been there. Mm -hmm. I know what that person was doing last night. I heard from Sister Bucketmouth 
that he was clubbing last night. Isn't it amazing how easy it is for us to judge the external worship of somebody else without ever posturing our own internal heart toward him? Help me, Jesus. I'm telling the truth now. I'm not just preaching. And she breaks across the room. She gets right over there. And she begins to worship Jesus. She breaks this alabaster jar. It's so expensive. Hundreds and thousands of dollars in its modern day equivalent. And she's worshiping him and pouring it all out on him, holding nothing back. She lets down her hair, holds nothing back. And this Pharisee says, if only he knew what kind of woman she is. Jesus tells this amazing story. He says to her, he says, he says to him, he says, there are two people who owed debt. One owed a greater amount than the other. Who loved more? And of course, you know the story, Simon says, the one who owed more loved more. And then she, she said, he says to her, he says to Simon, sorry, he who is forgiven little loves little, but he who's forgiven much loves much. I wonder if the problem in the church is that we think we're a little bit better than we really are. I was visiting a church in England. The English people, they don't fake a shake, Right? Either God is moving with them or, or they're not. So they don't, they, don't, they don't get hyped up. English people, the Lord is here. And that's it. That's what you get from them. <laughs> I'm English and South African, so I'm allowed to say this. But I was English meeting, and how many of you have ever come to church and there's that one person who goes a little bit crazy in a meeting? That if you had someone who's unsaved, you are praying that that person is not there. Because you know they'll get so crazy they'll put the unsaved person off. Can, can I be honest in church? I have to be. Right? You get, you get that moment? Well, there's one of those guys. I'll call him John. John was a crazy praiser. He would be standing at the back shouting, Jesus, I love you. You're amazing. He'd run around the building. This is in England, y'all. This is not like... My church in Africa, where we run around so that the dust comes up. But that's not what it was. And he's going crazy. Jesus, I love you. You're amazing. And I, man of God that I am, am getting frustrated. I'm like, I now need to get up and preach. I'm probably going to have to bring some pastoral correction because this guy is clearly in some kind of fleshly excess. <laughs> I love it when people say to me, I don't want to be in the flesh. How else can you be? You need your body to worship. <laughs> anyway, this guy was in the flesh, clearly, and I was so offended. I remember standing <laughs> saying to the pastor, who is this guy? We, we have to calm him down. This is not appropriate. This is not decent and in order. <laughs> have you ever been to a graveyard? It's decent and in order. But if you go to the birthing room of a hospital, it looks real crazy. <laughs> but there's a lot more life there than a graveyard. This guy was going crazy. I said to the pastor, who is this guy? So frustrating. I need to get up and preach. You have to discipline this man. 
And you know, that's John. John has been clean for about five years from a long-term heroin addiction. <laughs> the Lord said to me, son, John is more aware of the grace he's received than you are. I want to tell you, if you want to become a worshiping house, your reputation, your comfort, your political correctness, your, it's not my personality to worship God exuberantly, it's not an excuse. Because if you understand how much you've been forgiven, the reality is both Simon and the prostitute could never repay God for what they owed. They didn't have it in their means, which means we are equal at the foot of the cross, dear brothers and sisters. I'm coming in for a landing now, I promise. This woman worships God, breaks through all of the religious regulations of the day. She breaks out of the comfort of her stage and class in life. She climbs over men to get to Jesus. She breaks an alabaster jar upon the feet of Jesus. It is over the top expensive. It is outrageous. It is reckless. It is not responsible. She could have kept that for her retirement. And we think that the most expensive part of the story, the most costly part of the story is the alabaster jar. I've got news for you, it's not. Because what she does after breaking the alabaster jar is she lets down her hair. And the thing about Middle Eastern culture is that women, in order to present their piety, in order to present how godly they were, would cover their hair and tie it up. Because it represented, according to 1 Corinthians, their glory. It represented who they thought they were. And the only time a woman was allowed to let down her hair was in the marriage bed, in the room when the doors were closed to her husband. And on honeymoon night, she would let down her hair and she would say, I am yours and only yours. He was the only one who had the privilege to see her with her hair down. When this woman breaks the alabaster jar, that's not the costly thing. Because what she does is she takes what is reserved for a private moment that no one else should see my personal devotion. And she says, I'm bringing it out into the public and I'm gonna declare my devotion to you that I am yours and only yours and that there's no one else that I worship except you and I don't care who is looking. That was the costly moment, dear brothers and sisters. We have sanitized worship to fit into our 45-minute song selection. When the kind of worship that Jesus is looking for is the one that says, I don't care what it costs, I'm letting down my hair because you and only you are the one that I love. And what's outrageous in this moment, dear brothers and sisters, it's like right at that moment, Jesus could have said to this woman, how dare you do that? And Simon the Pharisee would have said, oh, that's a true prophet. He could have said, how dare you do that? Go away. Uh, cut the ashes, please come. Take this, remove the woman. And Jesus would have been justified by the legal requirements of the day. Jesus would have been justified in the eyes of the religious. 
And they would have gone, great job. He must be a real prophet. But you know what Jesus does? He receives her worship. And in that moment, dear brothers and sisters, Jesus ties his fate to her past. And there's a divine exchange that happens where Jesus takes the shame and the judgment on this woman and he receives it on himself. Because at the end of the evening, there will be some news reporters reporting in the Jerusalem Gazette, did you hear about the prophet who allowed himself to be defiled by a woman? The issue would not be the woman's audaciousness. The issue would not be the woman's extravagance. The issue would be that Jesus allowed her to worship him. And in doing so, all of the shame and the judgment that is rightfully hers, he says, I will take it upon me so that I will be the talking point about your guilt and about your shame. And that's exactly what King Jesus did on the cross for you and for me, dying naked and ashamed. And he said, your shame, your judgment, I'll take upon myself. And do you know what you get? My joy, my goodness. My righteousness, I can't help but shout about these things because dear brothers and sisters, the hour has come and now is where the Father is seeking those who would worship him in spirit and in truth. That our gaze would be solely fixed on him and only fixed on him. And no matter my reputation, no matter how people think I should look or shouldn't look, no matter what people say, Jesus at the cross has tied his fate to my life and he said, I will give you my life for yours. I'll take your shame and you'll get my purity. I'll take your judgment and you'll get my grace. What kind of worship are you giving him today? Is it the worship that makes some people uncomfortable? Is it the worship that's kind of a little bit crazy, the kind of worship that brings in a little bit of awkwardness? And I'm not talking about being weird for weird sake. I'm talking about a posture in our churches that says, we don't care who's coming in. We are going after him and him alone. The kind of worship that says, I must break through the crowd because they're dishonoring the one that I love. I must get close to him because he's magnificent. I must let down my hair and dry his feet with my hair because I love him. The thing I love about this story, dear friends, is that at the end of the evening when everyone's gone home and the gossipers have stopped gossiping, and the religious folk have stopped judging. There are two people who walk away smelling the same, Jesus and a prostitute. She would have gone to bed that night with the smell of ointment in her hair, smelling like the one that she's just worshiped. I want my worship. I want my worship to be so extravagant, to be so unrelenting, to be so over the top, that at the end of it, 
I smell like him. I believe the Lord's calling you to be a house of worship. And I know I'm talking about sun worship, and worship is everything. I wonder, Daniel, if you can just come and play. I know that worship is everything. It's every day. It's, it's not just what we do on a Sunday. But, oh, brothers and sisters, I want to ask you for the next two minutes, would you help me worship him? Who cares about your Sunday roast? I mean, I care about barbecue, but right now I love Jesus more. I want the worship that I bring to him to smell like him because here's the thing. What you behold, you become like. And for too long, the church has beheld sin and we wonder why we're sinning. But when you behold him and a holy desperation comes over you so that you have to break through the political, you have to break through the cultural norms of society you have to break through the expectation of the rich or the poor to get to the one that you love so that you can break open your life and let down your hair and say, you and only you are the one that I love. When last is your worship pulled something out of you that says, I don't care who's looking. I don't care if I've got to stand up on this pew and shout out, I love you. I love you. I love you. I don't care what it sounds like. I don't care whether they sing my favorite song or not. I must tell him that I love him. I must lift up my voice and shout with everything that I have because he's good. I have to get some crazy praise, some crazy worship on. because I have a holy desperation for the one that I love. I wonder if you could just help me for a moment worship Him. You might want to stand up. You might want to come to the front. You might want to run around the building. I don't know what you need to do, but you've got to do something because worship ain't passive. Worship ain't quiet. Worship isn't something you do in a private space. It's meant to come out into the public space so that everyone sees how much you love Him. I don't care whether you need to dance or whether you need to spin around, whatever you need to do to express your love to Him. Can you begin to lift up your voice? Can you begin to declare His goodness? Oh, I want to tell you, there is a move of God that is about to happen in the area of worship. There is a move of God that is about to happen that will cause a dominating expression of His presence in this region. Would you begin to lift up a shout? Would you begin to lift up your song? Would you begin to declare His goodness? Jesus, we love you. We love you. We love you. We love you. There is no one like you, King Jesus. We exalt you. We lift you high. Oh, if you know how to pray in the Holy Ghost, just go ahead and do that right now. I 
wonder if I could get the worship lead up. Yeah, I want us to sing this refrain. Jesus, I love you, I love you. just do one thing and then we're gonna end tonight we're gonna carry on I, I I am a man on fire because I believe God's gonna do some stuff tonight how many of you sense the presence of Jesus in the room he can't help but be attracted to your worship I felt the Lord say to me son I want to break shame and judgment off my people for some of you God's gonna break the judgments you've made against other people's worship where you said oh they're in excess oh they're in excess they shouldn't be doing that for others of you you felt judgment on you God's going to break that off of you today and I felt like for numbers of you you're living in shame because of past sin and the enemy keeps bringing it back at you and you don't know how to walk free from it Right now, God's going to break shame off of you because there's a divine exchange that happens when you worship Him. You get what you could never earn or deserve by way of His kindness and grace. Oh, I sense the presence of God in this room today. We worship you, we worship you. And if there is shame, that you're under, God's going to break it off of you today. If there's judgment that you're under, He's going to break it off of you today. Tonight, I will have an extended time of prophesying over people and we'll spend time praying for lots of people. But right now, I don't just want what His hand can do because I want to see His face. All across this room, why don't you lift your hands up just for a moment? I believe one of the hallmarks of the move of God that will happen in this church is around worship. That there will be a flow of worship for the nations. But God wants to break off shame. I actually believe even the history of this church, there has been shame that came upon this church in its history. And today God is breaking that shame off of you. There's been judgment by other churches today. God is breaking the judgment off of this church. But if that's you personally, 
lift up your hands. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing this refrain to worship you. I live. I live to worship you. Just lift up your hands all across this room. God, right now, some of you are going to feel demons that are being harassing you leave. Some of you are going to feel the tightness of the enemy around your head. Go. In the name of Jesus, I take authority over shame and guilt and judgment right now. And in the name of Jesus, I break that off of people right now. I break judgment that have been spoken over people right now. And I declare a season of outrageous, unashamed, crazy praise worship. The kind of worship that's slightly embarrassing and awkward. The kind of worship that is unrestrained to the one that we love, to the one that we desire. And right now I break off shame. There's a lady in this room, you had an abortion about nine years ago. God is breaking the shame of that off of you right now in the name of Jesus. He's breaking the shame off of you right now. You've not been able to worship God because you've felt like you've lived under that shame. God's breaking that off of you right now. There's some of you, you're in your second marriage and you've been living under guilt and shame. I'm not advocating divorce or adultery, but I do want to tell you when God forgives, He forgives completely. And right now He's breaking off guilt and the disenablement of ministry and serving in His purpose right now in the name of Jesus. And now I want to break off the historical shame that has been on this church. I know some of the history of this church and I felt the Lord say to me today, you're going to tell them that worship will remove the reproach. And I feel like there's some in this community who've spoken shame on this church because of its past. And there's some even who said, oh, that, that, that pastor is too young. They're too young, they shouldn't be leading such a big church. I want to tell you, God is breaking all shame right now. You see, I, I, didn't come, I didn't come to be politically correct. I came to ship something in the atmosphere for you. God is breaking off a assignment against this church to bring shame and judgment on it. And just where you're standing right now, if you agree that you're going to go after Him in unashamed worship, if you agree that God is breaking this off, lift up your hands just for a moment. Right now, in the name of Jesus, I break the historical shame that the enemy tried to bring on this community. I break the judgments that the enemy tried to bring on this community. And I say in Jesus' name, it is gone and it is over right now. And Father, I declare a season of unrestrained, unashamed worship. In Jesus' name, let's lift up our voices and begin to sing to worship you. Everybody, every hand, every voice to worship you. Lift your voice. 
I really feel strongly that for some of you right now, like God's returning, like your first love, like your first love, like back to Him, like just you and Him, like returning your first love, all of your affection, just back to Him. Not, and some of it's, it's been lost for whatever reason. But God, I just thank you right now that you're returning first love. You're returning intimacy with you right now in this room, Jesus. As some of you have left out of intimacy with God, or it's become just a, a system of going to church, and you're stepping right back into it right now, this intimate moments with God that will not just happen in this room, but will continue and overflow out of this place. Recently, Pastor Faith sent me a, um, this might sound crazy, hold on. She sent me a, a, a statement from Michael Miller's book and it said that God spoke to him about, I think it was Oak Lawn where God was sending him. He said, I didn't send you to Oak Lawn to minister to people. Sorry, I'm a little out of it. I fell down. <laughs> He said, I'm not sending you to Oakland necessarily to minister to people, but I'm sending you to Oakland to minister to the Lord. And God is shifting our church and shifting our leadership to really understand that our first jobs ultimately and our first job as this church is to minister to Him in prayer and in worship and in our lives and devotion and also to minister to our city and to minister to the body of Christ, but ultimately to minister to Him. And I feel like the Lord is inviting our congregation and our church into this place of, um, of more worship and prayer and times in His presence. And not just in the building, but definitely in the building. Where God is making, I just really see like it, more uh, just altars in our homes in our living rooms and just that we where we just make more time to be in his presence where it's not just so awkward to come on Sundays and wait to the third song before you feel like you're into worship but you really start to carry this and out of this place and into our homes and our families and our kids and our kids where we, it's not awkward anymore but we turn on the worship music turn off the TV and build an altar to the Lord in our living rooms can somebody say amen Amen and amen. Can we give it up for Pastor Julian, the prophet in the house this morning? And whatever part of the message that really spoke to you, can we just lift our hands all over this place and say, Lord, I receive it. We receive it this morning, Lord. In Jesus' name. We want to give an opportunity, prayer team, if you'd come quickly. If you need prayer or if you're here today and you're like, man, I, I, I'm not even a born again. I'm not even a Christian. If you need salvation this morning, you need to start this relationship with Jesus. He loves you. He died for your sin. If you need to believe in him, believe he died on the cross, believe he rose from the dead. If you need to have salvation, today is the day of salvation. If you need that, please come to the altar, one of our prayer team, or if you would just like prayer in general for healing, just for anything you're going through in your life, our altars are open. Do me a favor, look at your neighbor, say, neighbor, do you need prayer? Say, I'll go with you. Awesome, we bless you guys in Jesus' name. Have an awesome day. We'll see you back here tonight. Invite your friends, it's gonna be a wonderful evening, 6 p.m. Remember, no childcare though, unless you're in freedom, so try to, Get that worked out. We love you guys. You're welcome to come to the altars. They're open.